Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. In association with Viatel Technology Group, IT leaders breathe easy with Viatel Managed Cybersecurity. Viatel.com. This is News Talk. Yeah, you're very welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, is the era of social media over or will Blue Sky unleash a new love for online sharing? We'll look at the fake news articles appearing on Facebook feeds and we'll dip into the mailbag to answer your tech questions. As ever, if you want to get in touch, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. But first, are you a social media lover or a hater? I've said many times that my relationship with all platforms has changed and I guess continues to evolve. But I was reading a piece in the Irish Times during the week about Blue Sky, which is a platform created by Jack Dorsey. And I'm wondering, could this be the one that brings social media sharing back to life? Uh, that piece was written by Kira O'Brien and she is with me now. Kira, for those who don't know, can you just introduce us to Blue Sky? Yeah, Blue Sky was actually a Twitter project to start with and they actually, they spun it out and made it like an independent thing. And what it is, it's actually a protocol, which is, you know, the technology that would under pin all of the, the social networks, but it's an open protocol. So anybody can use it. So the idea with Blue Sky, the actual app that you see there, that's just a way to showcase what Blue Sky, the protocol that underpins it, the app protocol it's called, can actually do. And it gives you an easy way into using it. So it looks and feels like Twitter, which is not that surprising. It does look and feel an awful lot like Twitter, but it means that you can kind of customise your own experience. So, you know, one of the big things about Twitter, as it was X, as it's now known, I refuse to call it that on a regular basis. But anyway, when you went into it, you had like the For You tab and, you know, then you had your your following, kind of the, the accounts that you were following. And a lot of the uh, social media companies have followed that similar kind of strain. You'll see it on threads as well. And the problem, obviously, with that For You tab is that it rarely reflects what you actually are interested in. So with Blue Sky, you can kind of create your own feeds and pin those then to your... your um, pin those to the main part of your app. So I have one, say like women in STEM, tech, uh, tech reviews. So if anything is tagged as women in STEM, it will appear in that tab. But they're not deciding for me what, what I want to see. They're not deciding what they want me to see. I'm deciding what I see. So I can kind of bin that, you know, that recommended tab altogether. And it's things like that that just make it that bit easier to use. Um, the other thing is obviously then that people uh, will be the algorithms that underlie all of these social networks are often a problem because they can reward, I suppose, contentious uh, content that gets, you know, people's attention because it's controversial or it, people are rage clicking on it or, you know, rage retweeting it. And that often elevates content that you don't really want to interact with into uh, the eyeline of an awful lot of more people. Um, the algorithms on Blue Sky work sli slightly differently. Uh, and it's not quite as, at the moment anyway, it's not quite as uh, controversial or you know hate-filled I think as some of the social networks have become because like we've we've always had great hopes for um for the, the I suppose the Twitter replacements uh because of Twitter 
played, I suppose, a, a, a big role in people's lives. You know, particularly if you're in news, it's, um, you know, it, it, it kind of it, it gave you a way into conversations with people that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have been able to contact before. Uh, and that is both a good and a bad thing. And, you know, again, it comes back to that kind of rewarding, contentious content. So I don't know about you. Like I use Twitter an awful lot less these days. I, I kind of I, I dip in and out of it, but I would have been quite active on it, you know, uh, up until probably around October 2022. Something happened around then that kind of changed it. Um, but, you know, I, I found that if when I do dip into it, like my For You tab is now full of vaguely disguised racist content, uh, not which is not for me at all. And a lot of the, 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 the hashtags and stuff that would be trending um, are not things that I would choose to follow. So I've kind of, I've, I've, step back quite a bit from it because to be honest I, I don't really want that amount of negativity I don't need it I, I don't need to, to see all that and I've gone to things like uh, to Blue Sky and Threads and but I found out with Threads as well you know Threads the, the algorithm is a bit weird as well and, and it's kind of being manipulated at the moment and that will probably be fixed at some point but it's just Blue Sky seems to be, especially since they've opened up a bit wider, it seems to be a less rage filled place and a less hate filled place than some of the social networks that are out there. And I suppose well, that's the idea of it. You know, it's the idea that we can make social media a positive thing rather than the overwhelming negative thing that it's become in the last couple of years. And look, let's let's be honest, look, the technology itself is 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 neutral, it doesn't see good or bad. But it rewards certain types of behaviors, and often those behaviors are kind of negative, and that's not really what we need. I think we've seen that over the past couple of years. There's been a definite shift towards kind of weaponizing social media almost, and it's not something that people are enjoying much. And the whole point of social media was it was supposed to be fun. It was supposed to connect people, um, and all it seems to do at the moment is fuel kind of negative behavior. Um, mm -hmm. and have a negative effect on people. We've seen it with um, say the likes of the impact of Instagram on the mental health of teenagers and young people. Um, it's no secret really that social media is not doing what we thought it would. We, it's not this positive thing anymore and it's not this positive force that we thought it would be or a force for change that's kind of gone out the window and now it just seems to be a way for people to band together and it, it's it's mobs and it's just it's it's just overwhelmingly negative for me. Mm. Blue sky hasn't it, it's it's supposed to be different, and I'm hoping that it will it will stick to that because like I can create all these feeds that I like to see. So if I have an interest in so say uh, woodworking, right? This I have this really bizarre interest that actually came from Threads where it started throwing all these really intricate woodworking uh, videos into my Threads feed. I clicked on one, and all of a sudden there was loads of them. Um, but it's all this, you know, it, it's a, it's an art form, you know, where they get these two pieces to fit together and then everything is smooth. Something I would never be able to do, but it's fascinating to watch them do it. I can create that feed if I want it in Blue Sky. I can't do that on Twitter. I'll just get, you know, in between all the nice videos of cats and, and woodworking and, and all that stuff, I'll get, you know, the uh, anti-immigration stuff and the racist stuff and the, you know, homophobic stuff. And it's just it's it, it's just not the same. Yeah, I've been off Twitter since November of last year and I mentioned this on the show before, but I just found the toxicity and the hate, not only just on the platform as a whole, but that was coming to me in direct message or, you know, in my app mentions was really, really not good for my mental health and my overall happiness. So I've walked away from it and I would highly recommend it because I think it's just an awful place. Um, 
But do you think now people have moved directly from Twitter or X to threads or are they updating each platform individually? It's For the moment, it's a bit scattered because up until fairly recently, like only about a week or so ago, uh, Blue Sky was actually invite only. So you could only get an account if you had an invitation, an invitation code to, to sign up. Now, that was because they wanted to kind of grow their network without it falling over. Do you remember the fail whale on Twitter? Um, they didn't want that to happen. You know, they wanted to make sure that they could support the, the users who were coming in. Now, that's gone out the window. We haven't had any mass outages that I can see. But the problem is, is obviously, look, the, the, the big opportunity for Blue Sky Threads, Mastodon, was when Twitter started to go south. And for a lot of people, that has happened. Um, and they were looking for a new place. So a lot of people have kind of scattered to uh, Threads, to Mastodon, to Blue Sky. And they haven't kind of, there hasn't been one outright winner. And, you know, I actually don't think there should be one outright winner. Because I think when there is one outright winner, as, the, you know, Twitter dominated the conversation a lot in the past, I think that gives an outsized control to one particular platform. Now, with the likes of Mastodon and, and Blue Sky, because, you know, there's no one company that controls it. I mean, both of them allow, you know, you to have your own uh, your own communities and your own moderation. So you put in place your own rules. Now, that can be kind of confusing as well. I know a lot of people when when Twitter started to to go south for them, they went to Mastodon because, you know, there was an Irish community there. And, you know, that was great. But... There's so many different, they're called instances on, on Mastodon and each instance has its own moderation rules that can be hard to make sure that you are sticking to the rules because um, people don't tend to want to come in and stomp all over the established order of things, you know, in general anyway. Some people always will. But it's just very difficult to make sure that you, if you if you are kind of posting across a few different things that you are making sure that you are sticking to the rules of that particular place. Um, and it's it can get very confusing. So I know a lot of people have just kind of dropped off social media a lot altogether. Now, spreads for a lot of people was the kind of the, the, the place they ended up when they opened to European users because, you know, Instagram was already there. You already had an Instagram account. And when you had an Instagram account, you had a ready-made community. Anybody who signed up for Threads who was already on Instagram, you know, that they would follow the, all of those people who had signed up for Threads already or when they eventually did sign up, you would automatically follow them. So th there was kind of like an inbuilt community there. And it's it's great, but I just don't find the engagement is as, as much as it was, say, on Twitter. Mm. So I think people are still looking for that community and people will land in different places. And I actually, I, I don't think it's a good thing for everybody to land in one place anyway. I do think that having that control outside of these companies will be a good thing. And Again, that's that's one of the key points of Blue Sky because it works on this this app protocol, which is the network technology. It's decentralized. No one company has control over how it works. It's open source so developers can work with it. And, you know, it means then that people can kind of not do what they want with it, but they can mold it to to what they want to do with it. And then crucially, I think, and, and I think you probably would have found the same thing with Twitter. One of the, the reasons for a lot of people haven't, haven't left Twitter is because they have a community there. They have a following there and trying to rebuild that elsewhere is impossible. So mm. the idea with something like Blue Sky is that you would just be able to take your followers and say, if Blue Sky, the app, it is not working for you anymore and somebody builds an app 
based on this at protocol, you can basically just go over there and still interact with all your followers, but you're not on Blue Sky as such. You're just using their open protocol. I think that's a key thing. The idea that you're this uh, this closed garden, that you are locked into this one ecosystem. So you're locked into Twitter or you're locked into threads, you know, and I know threads is, is experimenting with open protocols as well. But the idea that you're locked into this one system and if you leave, you have to leave your whole community behind. I think that is the thing that's going to fall off and people won't go for that as much because, the you know, you mean, if you built a, a community, you built a following, you don't want to lock it up with one particular company. You want to be able to access that and you want to be able to still talk to the people you've been interacting with on a regular basis, um, just not necessarily in this one platform. Yeah, I've been thinking about the notion of a de- decentralized social media for a while now. Um, and I guess the point that I keep coming back to is, you know, was the beauty of Twitter not that it was the place to go when there was a big news story or sporting event or, I don't know, election even? You know, you knew that everybody would be sharing their thoughts in one place. It, is it not diluted if we're all segregated on multiple platforms at all times? Should it be one platform, though? I think it's why Why does it have to be one platform? I mean, like Instagram, though, I think is a very different place from threads because Instagram you go for mainly kind of photography based things. Yeah, it's mm. on stories you can create text based stuff and people put up those notes all the time. But it's primarily a visual platform. Threads is a conversational platform. Twitter was a conversational platform. Um, Ma- uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky, they're all conversational. And yes, other elements have been brought in. You know, there are certain things that obviously you get like, uh, you get GIFs or GIFs, depending on where you want to pronounce that. Uh, come at me on Blue Sky on that one. Um, but you also, you know, you can add in videos and you can add in photographs and, and, you know, all of that stuff has crept into those platforms over time. So I think like, you know, the idea that, you know, you would have to be on one particular platform, I think that's kind of becoming an outdated notion. OK, so that's the point or the argument, I suppose, uh, the devil's advocate view of one app versus multiple apps. But is there any of the apps that are out there that are fully ticking the box in terms of our needs and our wants? Like, does Blue Sky tick the box for those who have left Twitter or does Threads do that? Or has our needs and wants when it comes to social media evolved beyond whatever the offerings that are out there at the the moment are? I think that no one platform is going to tick all the boxes for everybody now. Mm. But I also think that what we have come to expect from a social media platform has changed. And I think it's really important to point out that Twitter in the early days, it was shaped by its users. So like a lot of those features that we liked and then came to hate. So like the idea of retweets, um, quote tweeting, direct messages, that kind of thing, you know, um, adding and replying to people with the, the app, you know, all of that stuff. To be honest, like most of that would have been, you know, user generated. So and the hashtags like that came from the community. People were starting to use them. The clickable hashtags was what people wanted. So Twitter eventually implemented an awful lot of those features. But like the stuff like remember at the start, like retweeting people used to have to type RT at the start Mm -hmm. and then quote their entire tweet. It was a manual process till eventually Twitter took it on board and automated it. Uh, Quote tweeting, similar stuff. You know, you didn't 
these weren't things that were kind of baked into the the social media platform from the start. I think what people want at its core from social media is, you know, they want a community, they want to be able to interact with people and anything that ticks those boxes, the rest will come in time. But we also do have to give it time. I mean, people, when Threads launched, were losing their minds about the fact that engagement dropped off significantly after the initial kind of burst you know where where everybody signed up and it got 100 million users in a few days and then all of a sudden it 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 fell back and um, what they were missing was this was a new platform people needed to figure out how it fit into their needs and wants and, and for some people it wasn't going to but it also had to give it some time to to kind of to gain ground and to become useful to people and you had to give it some time to develop and it also needed extra features like you know the ability to edit photographs or the ability to post videos or you know the ability to add gifs into things mm-hmm. um and you know you needed just to give it some time because Twitter had that time because it was new and people didn't know what to expect from it. And it was kind of, you know, you 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 felt your way around. Uh, eventually more people joined. Um, and it was just, you know, it, we do need to give these platforms time to kind of bed in and to develop. Um, whether or not they will get that time now, because we are such an immediate instant gratification society at this point, you know, when you think about when Twitter launched me, I did, I think I joined Twitter back in 2008, 2009. Um, but you know, there was much, there was much lower expectations back then, Mm -hmm. uh, because people didn't know what to expect. And now you're expecting everything to be a complete Twitter replacement. I don't think we need a complete Twitter replacement because we've seen how bad that can go, how badly that can, can go wrong, um, and how things can be weaponized against people. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many, there's almost like a mob rule thing uh, that developed on Twitter, you know, and, you know, on, on a lot of different topics. And, you know, sometimes you'd be behind what, what people were kind of fighting for. And sometimes you wouldn't. And I suppose your, your, your sympathies would change according to how you felt about this particular thing. But like in general, you know, the idea that somebody does something wrong, it gets splashed all over social media, you know, it's, and and then it follows them around for the rest of their lives. You know, that's not something that pre Twitter and pre Facebook people would have, um, I suppose would have got on board with, you know, because it does Mm. seem slightly, you know, bullying in a way, you know, and obviously look, this is going to, how you feel about it depends on what people have done, you know, like the woman who shot a cat in a, 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 a weedy bin or, you know, footballers who are, you know, abusive to animals and people, you know, people tend to share stuff like that and they feel strongly about things like that. But then you have somebody who says something, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't track well these days, but it was said in 2008 or 2009 and it's dragged up with 2024 standards, you know, and, and then there's like, you know, there's no way back for them from that. And this follows them around them for the rest of their life. People say stupid things. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's immortalized on social media and it, it can be very quickly whipped up into, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a very big thing very quickly. Things go viral, things. And then they just follow this person around for the rest of their lives. I'm not sure, like, you know, an awful lot of people would be quite happy for somebody to drag something up that they said 15 years ago and make it all about the person that they are today because you know people learn and people grow and you know so in that like there's there's a lot of negative aspects of social media that you know we just don't really need anymore um and it does kind of tend to we've seen it with you know events in the US where people kind of coalesce around these ideas and the ideas spread and they're not always great ideas um and they're not always ideas that that should be allowed to spread and i know people are going to go oh, free speech or whatever but like you know when people are dying because of fake rumors that's not a 
you know, that, that nobody can say that that's, you know, something that we want. So in some t- some ways, I think there are certain aspects of social media that should go away, that that should not be allowed to carry on into this next generation of social media. So like the, the, the virality of it, while it can be good in one respect, can also be an overwhelmingly negative thing. Um, mm. And I think the idea that, you know, that maybe those aspects of it can go, you know, I, I wouldn't cry about it, put it that way. You know, there, there are certain things that I can live without in my life. And the idea, like people, you know, putting out uh, other people's private information uh, for no other reason than they're annoyed by them. You know, yeah. that's not a great thing either. Um, and I, I use that, you know, that's that's vastly understating it, you know. Um, but again, you know, that there were, there are this is a total tangent to what we were talking about but i do think there are some aspects of social media where everybody kind of you know jumping on the same platform would not be a great idea no and i suppose my final point on this would be and i i've been thinking about it a lot uh, obviously because i keep saying that but i wrote about it for the business post a little while ago uh facebook turned 20 and so many moments of my life and so many thoughts that i've shared are stored within a facebook server somewhere and they crop up as memories every single day on my Facebook memories. And I cringe almost every single day at them. Like, do you think that we are growing beyond that need and want to share every single thought? And will the relationship of the next generation be any way different when it comes to these social platforms? I think so. Um, and look, you know, if if every stupid thing I did as a teenager was caught on a video camera, a, a phone camera, and uploaded to the internet. I would be mortified. God, I like, and I, I'm the worst person for it because I still think about things I said when I was 14 and mm-hmm. die on the inside if I had the actual evidence in front of me in black and white or you know in full color video. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm actually cringing myself inside out even thinking about it now. But like the the, the thing is, I think that there is also you know, with the, some of the, prof, the 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 social media platforms there are now, like there's this ephemeral thing to it, you know, where the, you have like disappearing stories and, you know, Snapchat was great for that. Then Instagram obviously took that on board. Um, and, you know, there is a certain amount that disappears, thankfully, without a trace. But, you know, we, we all know that the screenshots are a thing. And just because you haven't put it online doesn't mean somebody else won't. So, I mean, there's been some photographs of me that should actually die in some sort of digital fire because they're horrific but somebody I have never put them up but somebody else has put them up and you know you instantly see them and you're like oh my god why would somebody do that to me but they don't see these photographs the same way you do so you know it it requires everybody to change not just yourself not just your own relationship with social media you know there's always going to be people out there who think putting that really embarrassing photograph or that really embarrassing video is hilarious and that has repercussions for people beyond what they may have originally intended but I'm kind of, yeah, I do think we, we do need to think our whole relationship with social media. And I think, and sometimes I think, not always, but sometimes I think that the younger generation of people who are coming up behind us have a very different view of social media. And then sometimes I think actually, no, they don't. They still share just as much as we do, just in a different way. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to that thing of like, just because you won't share it widely doesn't mean somebody else won't. And I'm trying to impress this on like, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I have a nine-year-old who wants to be a YouTuber. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have said, you know, you can put videos up as long as they do not have your face in them, your real name. You don't tell anybody where you live and you don't put up anything that's identifiable about your location. Oh, and I get to see every single video before it goes up. And, I, you know, I've, if I'm not happy, this will not go up. No, she has not put a single video up yet because, you know, that's kind of the point. She's making the videos herself and she's putting them on her her own, you know, kind of her own video um, storage. But mm-hmm. they haven't gone anywhere as yet. But, you know, I'm trying to impress on her. This is what you have to do. Now, there's only so much I can do, though. And I think that there is only so much that we can kind of try and teach the next generation of people coming up, you know, that this social media can be good, but it can also be toxic. Because when I was nine, the idea of putting videos on the Internet didn't exist. When I was 19, the idea of putting videos on the Internet was a bit more you know, acceptable, but still, Mm -hmm. you know, you were very careful about what you put up. Uh, I think it's just so accessible and just so normal now that, you know, we have to kind of impress on people, you know, these things could follow you around for the rest of your life, even if you don't think they will or you don't care right now, you might care, you know, when you're like, I, I have, there are certain people out there who have put stuff up online that I know about, um, that they would be mortified if, yeah. you know, now that they would be mortified about, mm-hmm. um, but that they didn't think twice about doing, you know, 10 years ago. They didn't yeah. think even five years ago. They didn't think twice about it. Now they would be utterly mortified because it is so damaging to who they are now. And it's so not who they are now because people grow. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds, five years time, they have very different viewpoints. Five years after that, they're completely, you know, removed from the viewpoints they had as a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. You know, it's people grow. Again, you know, the idea that this is immortalized and will follow you around for the rest of your life is just, to me, is just absolutely hideous. Uh, They don't think about that though, because, you know, when you're a teenager, you tend not to think long-term because, you know, why would you be, why would you care? Um, I think, we have to solve our problems with social media now so they don't have the same issues. The only thing is, I don't know how we do that. Yeah, I would love to know what you think. Are we beyond social media? Is that era over? You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times, as always, it's a pleasure to chat with you. When we come back here on News Talk, we're going to stick with social media and look at the fake news ads that keep appearing on my Facebook feed. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. There was a dilemma when it came to her funeral with my parents. Like this was their neighbour's daughter. They wanted, in their heart, they wanted to go to the funeral. But I think they also knew they didn't want anything to happen that would upset the Lenskis at the funeral. And Did they, they feel they wouldn't be welcome? Yeah, they felt they, they, felt they were definitely torn between should we go And if we go, will it cause some problems? So they made the decision not to go. That is a clip from Inside the Crime Series 3, which tells the story of Una Linsky, a 19-year-old woman who disappeared a few minutes away from her home in Meath back in 1971. This is uh, hosted by Newstalk's Frank Graney, and it looks at what happened to Una, the investigation but also the impact it had on the wider community. I have been glued to it every week. Uh, This is the third episode that came out on Tuesday of this week and it's one of the most harrowing pieces of audio I've heard in quite some time. 
because it reflects the pain and the devastation and the trauma that not only Una's family faced, but as I said a second ago, the wider community. Uh, It is an incredible tale. It's one that I didn't know anything about before this podcast started. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for something to listen to over the next few weeks, I would highly recommend it. Go back and start at the very beginning. It's called Inside the Crime and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, sticking with crime, but a different kind of crime. I was talking to Kieran Codahy on Wednesday's Hard Shoulder about ads that keep appearing on my Facebook feed. So I was scrolling through and over the last number of months, I saw some very salacious articles about people that I know, uh, people who work in media, and you won't believe what they did next or you won't believe that they got fired for this or whatever it was. And I knew straight away that they were fake because, as I said, I know some of the people. So one example is Brian Dowling. He's a colleague of mine. He works on 98FM here in Marconi House. I've seen other ones about Tommy Bow. I've seen other ones about my colleague Pat Kenny. And every single time you kind of roll your eyes going, ah, here, leave it out. But the other day, because I knew I was talking to Kieran, I clicked through and I was taken from a Facebook ad about Brian Dowling to an article that looked incredibly sophisticated and very much like an article from independent.ie. And it was all about how Brian managed to turn his life around. And you know what the turning point was? He got involved in crypto. And as you read through this article, you see straight away that there are hyperlinks so that you too can sign up to this incredible crypto opportunity. Now, again, it's a scam. And just like we were talking about last week about some of the Revolut scams, don't click, don't engage. I just did it out of curiosity and for research purposes. But it got me thinking as to how exactly the big tech companies haven't caught on or copped on to this yet. Another story that caught my eye this week related to Leica Mobile. Uh, they, the, the scammers utilising their brand managed to get a fake scam ad to the top of Google search. How? Like, How? Well, hopefully, Emmett Ryan, who joins me now, will have the answers. Emmett, uh, this is bananas, no? Well, the sort of something you think that's really here is that they appear at the top of Google search because fake ads for Leica Mobile, and I should stress these are not ads by Leica, these people impersonating Leica, they go back to wild and crazy times. I had brown hair. Uh, the Celtic Tiger still existed. Uh, you know, it's there was hope for my football team, stuff like that. Okay, there wasn't that because I'm used to be fan. But like Leica ads that are fake are as old as pretty much scam ads. Like they are one of the most impersonated brands on the internet. And Leica have had spent so much of their efforts over the years, like, who are a legitimate service, by the way. They are doing everything they can to fight these all the time. Uh, Leica spent so much time uh, uh, over the years fighting against these scammers. And uh, yeah, now somebody managed to get through and get into the top of Google search with it, which where there should be. And there are technically barriers in place to prevent this. They got past the barriers, it turns out, quite easily. And somehow it's still, you know, an issue. And my reaction when I saw that it was Leica was, oh, come on. Like, you know, of all the ones you should be checking to verify properly, like, there's almost like sort of a history of fake Leica ads, you know? And mm-hmm. this is the one above all else you should be checking because, like, for context people who don't really know Leica Mobile, I'm sure some of the listeners don't, they're extremely popular when it comes to getting a second scene for when you're traveling and the likes, or if you're 
someone recently new in a country and you're trying to call home for discount calls, they're very popular with that. So like, well, you know, they, they naturally will suit a certain market. So a lot of people who are sort of, you know, on the move in for whatever reason, just to be clear, uh, will will use Leica. And so it'll be a natural thing to search for for those people. But uh, like I've used Leica mobile things before many times when I traveled overseas. And it's just, it's one of those ones where as a result, and like Leica themselves, again, cancer is enough are blameless. I know you're saying the same as well, Jess. I'm just saying this repeatedly for the listeners. This is not Leica's fault. But, but um, you know, Google really dropped the ball here because their security in place, essentially what happened here was, was that the, the things they have, which involve, if you're for a business, you got to prove you are that business, essentially, uh, especially the more well-known you are. And by and, and you don't have to be that well-known, if you know what I mean, to, 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 to require this test, uh, prove essentially that you are the business you claim to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, uh, well, the fake like, I suppose, managed to convince them that somehow they were Vodafone, they weren't Vodafone, and also Vodafone don't own Leica, which is also, you know, kind of pointless then. And uh, they got through, so it's just as a real ball dropping on Google's own security here. Yeah, and I was talking to Kieran Cotahy, as I said a few minutes ago, about uh, fake news stories that are appearing on Facebook feeds. I actually have an update because the ad that I reported that was telling a completely false story about Brian Dowling... In a, in a way to try and get people to sign up to a crypto scam. I reported the ad and I've just gotten an update from Facebook and it says, we didn't remove the ad. To keep our review process as fair as possible, we use the same advertising standards to review reports. We've taken a look and found that this ad doesn't go against our advertising standards. As you reported it, we won't show you this ad again. You can influence the ads that you see by hiding ads or changing your ad preferences. Now, that to me is bananas because it was an ad that was put up on Facebook using a business called Phone Fix or something like that. Uh, But it was a complete scam ad. Facebook has some of the best technology in the world to track and identify and moderate these decisions. So how the hell are the likes of Google and Facebook still not getting this right? It's it's wild. And you tell me that that's their response is even wilder to me because like there's almost always trends. Like so for a while we had Patrick Keelty was the trend of the you know face of him and doing a, a late late spot uh, was the face of these fake ads. That was more an X. You have l- lots of Leo Radker ones across platforms over the years. Uh, again, fake Leo Radker ones, uh, you know, which have been used. And one that was very popular a couple of years ago was the Collison brothers, the founders of Stripe. Again, completely fake, complete nonsense. And more often than not, I'd report, I'd report these ads, but they'd come back up with a different creator, essentially. So they were, it was sort of whack-a-mole. And, but they aren't even taking down the fake one that, you know, you've spotted as fake. That's just ridiculous to me. It just shows you that the methods they have in place just are not fit for purpose because if they can't take down something that obviously fake that is that blatantly designed to deceive, like what's even the point of having these systems in place? Like the, the, the reason you have, you know, a, an opportunity for you or I or any listener as a user to report these ads isn't just that we're annoyed, it's that more often than not, our first thought is, well, I'd like to make sure someone doesn't actually fall for this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to report it. And, you know, what Facebook, what Meta has told you there is, oh, no, your efforts to protect people have gone in vain. Sorry about that. 
Yeah, and I, I know I'm going on like a broken record now at this stage, but I'm just so concerned that, like, we, we know the European elections are going to come up soon. We know there's a presidential election coming soon. There could be a general election happening here in Ireland as well. And I just think that social media companies and the likes of Google could and should be doing more to protect people. Because the, the thing is, these scammers are so clever, right? And they're creating these really salacious headlines because they know people love a bit of gossip and they want you to click in and they want you to go forward for the crypto scam. But, you know, it's not enough to just kind of say, well, look, we tried and we dropped the ball. Like there has to be some sense of jeopardy here for them to take proper action. Yeah, like I think clearly we're at a stage where they're failing so badly that there has to be some recourse, uh, if not even for the, you know, the case of Leica or a Leica to be able to like sort of you know demand you know some sort of recompense from Google because to me like is clearly having its brand influ- you know impacted here and again it's a brand which has had to fight so hard to protect itself over the years uh, it's rare that I'm this kind to a company that's that big by the way but they've really been just unfairly treated by scammers over the years like so I'm actually going to go, go make a stand for the lads uh, but even but when it comes to sort of the fake news side side of things like you said. Like, we've got the election coming up. I can guarantee you there'll be Michael D. fake stories coming up ahead of the presidential one, even though he's not running for president. <laughs> you know, like we'll have those. There, you know, and uh, it, it's like it's going to be that all over again. And there has to be some way. I, and I, I'd love to say I know what it is, but like to sort of you know basically force them to be a lot stricter on what they allow to go through. That you know something that is designed to deceive and like they it's almost like they're trying to use the legal barrier when they don't have to like as in like you know yes in a court i'm sure proving that the site that you found jess is aiming to deceive will be very difficult here's the thing they don't have to operate by a court standard they operate by the ah uh, here standard that is more than enough when you're selling ads the ah uh, here standard will more instead of you look at that you go ah uh, here and you just block it and it should really be that simple like they should show that their standards are you know if it can't pass the ah uh, here test it's not getting through. It really is that simple to me. Yeah, we were talking to Kira O'Brien uh, earlier in the show about social media as a whole and I suppose how it's changing and how platforms are becoming, I suppose the whole thing of so- social media is becoming decentralised, which is a-, a good thing, I guess. But I just keep on scratching my head going, you know, Facebook was 20 a few weeks ago. Google's been around a long time and we're still putting out the most basic of fires. Do you hold out hope that, you know, we'll get to a position where everything is rosy in the garden? Oh gosh, because I'm normally the optimist here, aren't I? Uh, as well as, I'm sure at some point in the long distant future, yes, but I find it very hard to believe it'll be soon mm. because like, I've been covering IT security for 20 years, like for as long as Facebook has been around. And I mean, I was giving a talk last week in Cork and we're still addressing the same issues then that we were 20 years ago uh, with IT security. So if we're, uh, I have no reason to believe that we'll be dealing with the same issues here when it comes to scammers, uh, you know, in another 15, 10, 10 years. Yeah, it's it's very, very depressing and grim. But just be savvy and safe when you are online. And if you see anything dodge, just hit report, even if it seems blatantly obvious that it is a scam. Just report it and you could protect somebody else. Uh, Emmett Ryan, thank you so much, as always, for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks for having me, Jess. Now, when we come back here on Tech Talk, we're going to answer your technology questions. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. John Fardy is going to be here in just a few minutes' time with Screen Time. Uh, John, what's on the show this week? 
Thank you, Jessica. Well, this week I'm talking to the author of a fascinating book all about movies and war and how war is betrayed. It's by the great film writer and critic David Thompson called The Fatal Alliance, War, A Century on Film. Fascinating stuff about how most war movies, despite what they say, are really pro-war movies. We also have the week's new movie releases, which have two fascinating, not necessarily brilliant movies, one about the life of Bob Marley or a certain point part of the life of Bob Marley, One Love, and a movie that we're told isn't a superhero movie, although it began life as a superhero movie, the much-talked-about Madame Webb, and Rory Keenan, the Irish actor Rory Keenan, on his role in the new Irish crime drama on RT1 on Sunday night's Blackshore. So that's all coming up on Screen Time. Thank you, Jessica. Great stuff. All of that is on the way, but before that, we're going to get to your tech questions, and as ever, if you're looking for a device recommendation, if you need some tech support, or maybe you have a recommendation for me, uh, you can drop me an email to techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, let's see who's been in touch. Andreas has been in touch and says, uh, I have an iPhone 13 mini and I love, in capital letters, the compact size. I'm a seasoned Apple fan. I have an Apple Museum at home with all products purchased since 1992. Wow. Can I have a picture, please? Uh, but I've refrained from upgrading my phone since the Mini was introduced. The phone is still in great condition and I would not consider changing it in the near future. However, I'm at a stage where my phone capacity appears to be too small to accommodate updates. Recently, I had to delete items I no- wouldn't normally want to delete to allow for iOS updates. I'd be sad to think that the phone needs to go because of storage limits. I was looking to free up space by using my almost limited iCloud storage. Any advice? Yeah, so Andreas, the like if you have the almost limited uh, limitless uh, iCloud storage, I would just recommend you shimmy everything over to the cloud. Um, I said before, I pay for iCloud storage and I also use Google Photos. I pay for Google Photos for all of my images. So I have my phone set up that every time I take a picture, it syncs up to my Google Photos and once a week or thereabouts, I'll go into my Google Photos and it'll give me a prompt to free up space on my device and it can delete up, I think it's like 5,000 photos at a time. So my photos aren't taking up space on my device. Um, If you've already done that and that's not enough, so if images aren't your big issue, I would go into your settings on your iPhone, go to general, go to iPhone storage and first up, you'll see what's using the most the most amount of space. So on my device, for example, uh, applications, apps are using the most amount of storage on my phone. Underneath that, it'll give me a prompt. It says, you know, review downloads and uh, audios. So I can see that I have uh, 1.11 gigs of video and audio files stored to my device. And it's prompting me to consider removing those if I want. I don't want to, though. So then when you scroll down, you'll see the apps that are using the most amount of storage. So for example, and this will tell you uh, how much I use certain apps, but Instagram, I have 22.63 gigs associated with my Instagram account. So if I tap into that within this settings portal, it'll give me two options. I can either offload the app, which frees up storage used by the app, but it keeps the documents and the data, or I can delete the app. 
Uh, the same goes for YouTube. There's 17.4 gigs of data associated with my YouTube, 10.85 gigs associated with my uh, WhatsApp and so on and so forth. So I think if you can go in and offload the apps that you're not using that regularly. Um, also, it's worth checking your settings on things like WhatsApp. So do you have your WhatsApp uh, set up to download all of the images and the GIFs and the memes and all that kind of stuff that you receive. If you don't want that on your phone, um, once you've gone through your settings, get out of your settings, go to your WhatsApp, tap on the settings, go to storage and data and go to manage storage. And again, within there, you will see a huge amount of stuff that gets sent to you. So I can see straight away the family members and the friends that send me the most amount of images. So my sister who has kids sends me, I have 3.3 gigs of uh, messages and GIFs and pictures of my nieces and my nephews in there. So you can go through, again, you can back them all up to your cloud. So you're not permanently deleting them. You're just getting them off your device. Uh, Hopefully by doing that, it will make a difference. It's also worth noting, like I did this recently too, when you go into your um onto your home screen of your iPhone, if there are apps that you don't use ever, you can permanently delete them. Um, obviously, it's possible to re-download them if you somehow desperately come to miss them. But get rid of any bits and pieces that you don't need on your phone. The big things are uh, photographs and audio clips. So if you can sync all those to go up to your cloud, and then if you can go through and um, say, for example, if you have all of your music downloaded from Spotify, so you have it available to listen to, even if you don't have Internet signal, maybe you don't need all of those playlists downloaded. Uh, so you can just pick and choose. But I agree, it is incredibly frustrating when storage limits get in your way. Uh, so hopefully that is of some use and you will free up a little bit of space so you get to keep your mini. Um, my brother is a big fan of the mini devices. I don't know why they discontinued them uh, because they were popular. It's increasingly difficult to get a smaller phone now. It's almost impossible. Uh, Alan has also been in touch. Hi, Alan. Uh, Hi, Jess. I was looking for a new mobile phone. I have a Samsung Galaxy 8. I'm a bit of a Stone Age 51-year-old and I'm looking for the next level Samsung phone that would have a good camera and most importantly, a headphone jack as I suffer from tinnitus and I have to wear special headphones to listen to my podcasts. Uh, So the headphone jack does create a bit of an issue uh the samsung galaxy a14 as far as i know does have a headphone jack that you can plug headphones into the other thing that could be worth considering um if you want a sort of higher end phone so say for example if you wanted the samsung galaxy s24 which is an excellent phone and the camera on it is stunning You could buy a Bluetooth receiver. Uh, You can get these in store or you can get them online. And what you do, it's basically a little device that you plug your headphones into and you pair your phone to the receiver. So you can plug your wired headphones into this little receiver. The little receiver will talk to your phone. And that way, then you almost get the wireless experience between your phone and your headphones uh, because that little receiver does all the work for you. So there are your options. The Samsung Galaxy A14, which I'm 99% sure has a headphone jack, or you could get the S24, which would have a better camera, much better spec overall, and then get a Bluetooth receiver as well. Uh, So hopefully that will do the job for you. 
uh, let me know how you go. Um, Seamus was also in touch. He says, looking for some pointers in relation to a new laptop. Need it for the usual stuff. No gaming, no kids, just me. The key things I need to know about are screen size, RAM, processor cost, software, camera, printer, service provider, etc. Uh, I'm with three and I have the Galaxy 8 Plus, which is the best phone ever. Love the show. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Um, okay, so if you just need a basic day-to-day laptop, you've plenty of options. Um, when it comes to the spec sheet, right, and I often talk about this around the time of back to school and back to college, because people get bamboozled when they see things like RAM and processor and all that sort of stuff. The big things for me are the RAM. So I wouldn't buy a device that has less than four gigs of RAM, really. Ideally, eight gigs of RAM, particularly if you're going to be multitasking and do an awful lot with it. However, from the list of things that you've told me that you're looking to do with it, um, you could potentially look at something like a Google Chromebook. So Asus, Acer and HP make excellent Chromebooks. Um, And the key difference between it and a traditional laptop is the operating system. So it wouldn't be a million miles away from what you're used to interacting with on your phone. Um, You do have certain limitations when it comes to installing software on it, but uh, it is definitely worth a look. They are very, very affordable. They tend to be very compact as well, which is great. If you want to go down the route of a laptop that runs Windows, uh, the Lenovo IdeaPad, I am a huge fan of this range. I always recommend them because I just think... They're workhorses and you get so much bang for your buck, I suppose. Um, There's one here that I am looking at now. It's the Lenovo IdeaPad 3 and it has a big screen. So it's a 15.6 inch laptop screen, which is quite big. It has 128 gig hard drive, which is a solid state drive, which means it's very, very fast and there's plenty of storage built in. And it has four gigs of RAM. So it will do an awful lot of, like it'll do everything that you need. Um, As I said, for me, If I was buying a laptop for my job, because I sometimes edit or I always edit audio and sometimes edit video, I would want something with eight gig of RAM, if not more. So they would be my recommendations for you. Look and see if a Chromebook will do the job for you. But if not, look at the Lenovo IdeaPad 3. And that's it from me this week. Again, if you have any questions, you can get in touch at any stage. Email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Or you can send me a WhatsApp voice note on 087-1400-106. Next week, Cameron and Kira will be in for our book club. We are reviewing John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I finished it there the other day. It's such a thought-provoking book. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to say anything else. It's, It's going to be a good discussion. If you've read it and you want to join the conversation, maybe you want to come on air with us, uh, email techtalk at newstalk.com. Or if you don't want to come on and have a chat and you just want to share your own thoughts, uh, email, as ever, is techtalk at newstalk.com. John Fardy is up next here on Newstalk with Screen Time. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's Newstalk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.